listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Welcome to episode 76 of Cinemental. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. Then why don't you kiss me like everybody else does? How about new? The thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. I came here like this so you'll know my word of death is true. And that my word of life is then true. Welcome to another episode of the movie podcast that we can only hope you enjoy listening to as much as we enjoy making. My name is Stephen Hovicki, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Hassan Goblin and Lathan Conger III. Our guest today is a writer and actor who has been seen on the recent ABC series Madoff and HBO's The Deuce. His most recent film appearances include Catfight and Drunk Parents. However, among many other roles, he may be best known for his appearances on nearly all the versions of the Law & Order franchise, his role in Spielberg's War of the Worlds, his role in HBO's classic prison series, Oz, as well as co-writing, co-starring, and one of my favorites, the 2001 horror classic, Session 9. Stephen Jevedin, welcome to Cinemental. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I, my, my distinct pleasure. We were, we were connected up by a mutual friend and multiple appear on our show, Dean Haspiel. So that's, uh, that was a, a, fun, a fun connection. Yeah, yeah, definitely. When he told me... Uh, that he thought that you'd be a good guest on the show. And I made the connection to who you were. I was like, uh, yes, please. Cause, uh, as I said, I, as I've told you previously in our discussions, uh, I've, I've been championing session nine since the first time I saw it, I was not lucky enough to see it in the theater when it came out. Uh, I probably saw it the first mm-hmm. time when it was released on video. So, uh, ever since then, which I would guess was probably 2002 or something along those lines. But uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a great movie. I was just so how how did you end up working with Brad Anderson? Brad and I went to college together. We oh he was there. I guess we went to Bowdoin College up in Brunswick, Maine, and uh, we kind of knew each other uh, for. I mean, the truth of it is, we were both really tall. Uh-huh. Like he's I'm <laughs> six four. He's six five. Wow. So and the college is tiny. It's like fourteen hundred kids. I think maybe sixteen hundred now. So you kind of, you, you know, you don't know everybody, but you, if you at all stand out, right. uh, you know, <laughs> and being six, four, you do. And then also we all, I, and he were part of the, the, the cool kids, <laughs> the, <laughs> the cool hip kids. Like we, we all smoked, you know, and hung out at the druggy frats and <laughs> we weren't part of the, the mainstream sort of white bread college there i mean although you know to be fair Bowden was was very interested in being more bohemian so which is the reason they let people like me in or and Brad. so <laughs> but literally i remember him you know he's one of the few people that wore a trench coat like i did uh i mean i didn't wear you know like a long like we used to call them old man coats yeah you know? <laughs> so we just kind of we kind of got to, you know, knew each other there. We're sort of friendly and then lost touch and, uh, you know, after college. But and he he was doing his second feature called uh, Next Stop Wonderland. And 
he'd seen me and we both wound up in the film business. I don't think he had an inkling he was going to be in the film business in college. I certainly did. <laughs> and he, I guess he saw me in blue in the face and smoke mm. with those pictures with Harvey Keitel and sure. William Hurt, Giancarlo Esposito. It's, it's interesting because I, we did that movie in the cigar shop, uh, the uh, smoke and blue in the face, those characters wound up in the second movie. And when I look in that room, a pretty impressive room there's harvey keitel Jarrett harris yeah. Giancarlo esposito uh jose zuniga william hurt i'm like wow you know uh, that's pretty fucking cool anyway uh, but he'd seen me in that and that's how we reconnected he moved to new york to cast next stop was going to shoot that and anyway and then we just stayed in touch and but you know that was 90 when was that 97 i guess that's about right six yeah, and then he went ahead, uh, and and then he was in New York. So we hung out and wrote, wrote Session Nine. Yeah, where where did the uh, where the ideas for Session Nine come from? Is that mostly from you, or no? It, he he'd been living in Somerville uh, when he when he did the Darien Gap. So I I don't know why he moved to Somerville, but he did because uh, he's not from Massachusetts. He grew up in Connecticut, but so um, he knew about Danvers. Well, right, yeah, uh, you know you can't. As I was told, if you live in Boston, Somerville, that area, you, you can't not know about Denver's. It's this, you know, looming, literally a looming building on a hill overlooking yeah. Route 1. Uh, so he knew about Danvers. And then, it, 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 so his idea was he wanted to write a horror movie that at the Danvers State Lunatic Asylum, which is what it was known as at the time. Yeah, and he just asked me. We were at his birthday party, I remember, <laughs> over a margarita uh, at some a great bar. I don't know if it's still around. I don't know if you know it, Hassan, called Double Happiness, way downtown in in Chinatown on Mott Street. Yeah, because I went to um, I went to Pratt at uh, up on uh, the uh, near the Puck Building, near Broadway oh, and Lafayette. Right. I won't talk much about it, but I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, it's a great, I don't know if again if it's still around, it's well worth checking out. But um, yeah, and he, we were you uh, looked over his drink and said, "Hey, do you want to write a horror movie with me?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> so I uh, I actually took the time to to rewatch the film again this morning because uh, I just wanted to make, have it fresh in my head. Okay. What I thought well, a couple of things I thought were kind of funny about it the the voice of the doctor on the recordings. I thought it was funny because mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, an actor named Robbie Lawler. Is that right? Yeah, regardless, uh, it was funny because when I was first came across that that first scene on the with these where Mike's listening to the tapes, it almost sounds like David Caruso on the recordings a little bit. Yep, that's what that's what I thought too. It was just actually so did I, and I asked, was it David Caruso? It sounded like someone. I think I said, uh, I think I thought uh, David Crusoe as well. And I actually made a point, a point, I pointed it out at the time. I was like, I think we need to get a different guy because, <laughs> because it could be unintentionally confusing. Right. You know, uh, and there's already. It distinguishes for you. Say that again? It distinguishes it. They distinguish themselves separately, you know, within, within 30 seconds after you hear it, though, I think. Okay. Well, good, because, yeah, I mean, I thought there was already some ambiguity written into the script uh, that we didn't need more 
unintentional ambiguity. And frankly, I don't think you need unintentional ambiguity at all. I think it's a terrible thing to have. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I think it's one of the worst things that came out of the independent film scene in the 90s here in New York was the misunderstanding that it's artsy if it's ambiguous, you know? It's like, <laughs> just, no, it's not. It just means... You don't have Somebody. the balls to make a point, you know, just yeah. or you're lazy <laughs> or. Yeah, I mean, yeah. lazy, but I think it's more than just they don't want to whoever it is, don't want to to stand behind something, whatever it is. I mean, whether it's like, you know, it doesn't have to be like a big political or social point, just anything. Just <laughs> say something. Oh, man, yeah. I got someone in mind about that and I just will not say it out of correctness but <laughs> that there is there's a there is a particular filmmaker that epitomizes that and that drives me crazy every well, time I'm sure I there's see more than one work. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah but Can you say it Hassan nah, seriously nah. you're gonna say that and then not say yes it's <laughs> <laughs> no. exactly what I'm gonna you're do you're doing exactly what we were just talking yes, about yes, you're not I'm, making a point it's called irony <laughs> Latham <laughs> I'm being uh, ironic <laughs> Um, yeah. and, and Hassan wants to wants to wants to still you know keep his career and livelihood. Yeah, Go on, <laughs> you know. I, have I don't care. It's called covering. And, his, and, yeah. and I don't know if Stephen knows him. So like you uh, know if I if I got on my uh, soapbox and it happens to be a very good friend of his from years ago. Uh, how good would that go? Well, that's <laughs> uh, just an artistic interpretation of their art. Okay. <laughs> By the way, your friend sucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't think he's no, saying he sucks. Oh, all right. No, tell that, us later. Hassan. That would be the gist of it, though. That would certainly be the gist of what I and, and you know, Hassan, that I can always take it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you can edit it we out. still there's still the other factor. There's the the, oh, that's the unknowable that's factor. But I I I 100 agree with uh, Stephen about the uh, ambiguity and and it not being art. It, and it being pretty much oh. terrible if you pay your money to see a film, sit down and watch a film. And it just kind of has one of these, uh, you know, esoteric endings where you're just supposed to get an impression as to, you know, yeah. what the heck was just, you know, or it's open to interpretation. I mean, some of those can work and um, but most of them don't, you know, well, or, or most I of them. Think kinda... you, I, think, I think you can't not call it art, though. It's still art. It's someone's art. You may not like it, but there's there's a difference. Of course, all all film, all any any work is any work is art. But the idea behind being purposefully vague means that it is fine art, or it's a higher form of art. Is is probably yeah. bull, in my opinion. Okay, I would I would. Uh, it's interesting because this. I, I don't want to. I know I'm not running running this this show, but this oh, folds neatly. Yes, you are. This <laughs> folds this folds nicely into the movies I chose for for it does. Uh, for absolutely for kind of uh, with absolutely without actually knowing that this this would come up. I mean, but um, yeah. uh, but I would disagree with one thing. I, just because you made it isn't it isn't art. That's and it's not someone's no. art. It's no art is a very particular thing. And, it, and unfortunately the word gets used like a lot of words like genius and overused. <laughs> and I think distinctly a misused, you know, producing creative product. That's fine. You know, everybody should do it. And I think 
it should be mandatory in schools taught, you know, painting and writing and etc. I mean, I don't think it's a good idea to not do it. I think if you can journal or whatever the hell it is you want to do, do it. I think everybody should do it, but that doesn't mean it's art. I think art is a very particular thing and very difficult to define, which is, you know, why you have this, these kind of debates. But, but <laughs> I think the thing that distinguishes something that makes something art is it has within itself the ability to vitiate the subject and the object. Now, as much as I like Caddyshack as a movie, <laughs> there are moments in it when that happened. You know, there are moments when like I could, you know, there are moments when Bill Murray is doing some some shtick and it's just great. And you just lose yourself in it. You know what I mean? But there are most of that movie is is, is like, I don't know. I don't know if you could even call it a movie, but, but it's just like a series <laughs> of, of things that happen. Do you know what I mean? Sure. But um, now where it's it gets a series of events. Yeah. Where it gets complicated and where I do agree with you, Lathan, is that moment of transcendence is yours. You know, I can't tell you that you don't like something, that you shouldn't like something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's what I mean. You know? No one no one can define it. So unless you change the definition of the word or add an adjective to it, adjective mm -hmm. to it like fine art or critically acclaimed art or whatever, I think I think that's the I, I, it might be just semantics. Oh no, yeah, right. And what Hassan said, I think I I mean I agree with that. Like it's it's not I wasn't saying I think what, what I was taking issue with, with like specifically unintentional ambiguity, but in the intentional ambiguity that people will throw into something so that they can sort of sidle into the, the fine art or the critically acclaimed, you know what I mean? Because nobody, sure. everybody, I just remember being in, in you know, like bars and in, in the East Village in the 1990s and you know, hanging out with PAs in the indie film world and directors and whatever the fuck. And, you know, the the refrain was always, you know, I don't want to do Hollywood movies, man. Like, I, I just really don't want to be like Steven Spielberg, man. And I remember sitting there going, okay, well, first of all, <laughs> you should pray at whatever altar you may have at home to be one-tenth as good a director as Steven Spielberg, right? I mean... yeah. I, I don't care if you like his movies back to what we were just discussing about, you know, you can't tell. I don't care if you like his movies or not, but the man has, I, I don't know, a preternatural talent at, at storytelling in film. For sure. You know, and frankly, I think speak, and this is not thing to say about arguably, in my opinion, maybe the most influential director of the last 40 years, but just because everybody's seen his movies, you know, I mean, you can't right. get away from his Spielberg picture if you tried but he's just an extraordinary extraordinary talent and I personally like his movies but I just remember thinking you know to base your entire career by not being Steven Spielberg <laughs> or not being Hollywood you're just as much under the spell of Hollywood or Steven Spielberg right. you know so you might as well just go Hollywood and get paid you know what I mean <laughs> What the fuck are you talking about? I don't want to be like Steven Spielberg. <laughs> if you're trying to make any money in the industry, there's no reason to discount being like him. You're not, yeah, you're you're limiting yourself at a very severe level. Well, there's always there's there's also the the arrogance of the fact that you you're not gonna be Spielberg. 
So don't worry about not trying to be Spielberg because yeah. you're not going to be Spielberg, you know? No. There's, there's, right. there's like the arrogance of if I, you know, if I worked at it, I could be just as good as Spielberg, but I'm not going to do that, you know? And that's, of course, oh, yeah. that's BS, you know? That's, that's not, that's not reality. You're not, you're not working <laughs> with reality at that point. No, you're absolutely right. And, and I think, you know, to give those those people credit, or at least, you know, to, to not completely dismiss them, I think they're misstating what they actually mean to say. I don't think they mean yeah. to say they don't want to be Spielberg. They are frustrated, and, and perhaps rightly so, by the overwhelming juggernaut of Hollywood and, you know, the, yeah. the strictures of that kind of storytelling. That said, I don't, I'm still not exactly sure why, because, you know, especially in the 90s, my generation were all enamored with, you know, movies like Taxi Driver, you know, the, the usual 70s, you know, fair, electric light and blue. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that ending still picture. gets me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, it's okay, but I, I just, again, I would point out, you know, those are all Hollywood movies, by the way. You know, right. all those movies you love were made by a version of a studio and, and came out of the Hollywood studio system. So, you know, uh, it's just, it's all very sort of in-group talking. You know, I want to be avant-garde, so this is what you say, you know. Yeah, I mean, indie filming as we know it today didn't really exist back then or if it did none of those movies you know existed outside of a possibly a film festival you know and the, and the film festivals didn't become these these shopping yeah. malls for studios to buy new product uh until much later yeah no i remember in high school it was 1983 or 84 there were you know a handful of movie theaters the a street playhouse which is now the ifc film a movie theater down on West Third Street, and uh, no, it was Waverly Playhouse or whatever the fuck. There, there were like four or five downtown theaters, and then there was a couple of theaters around Lincoln Center that would play foreign films, but also what would be called in the eighties underground movies. You know, so you could go see Jim Jarmusch picture, you know, or art or house, art house, right. In fact, I remember seeing a really great movie. Well, I don't know if it's a great movie, but <laughs> it, had, it had a profound effect on me at, at the time. And I've seen it since. And it is, an, it's a weird ass movie. It's called Liquid Sky. Oh, yeah. Uh -oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, very much ahead of its time in terms of how it told the story, how it looked, what it was about, you know. But you're absolutely right. Yeah. The, the independent film as it has been codified by the, like you said, the festival circuit and the Gotham Awards and the Indie Spirit Awards and stuff was created in, in, in that time from like 1990 to about 97, it was done. You know, like it had been, this is what an independent film is, was, was you were pretty clear about right. it, you know, by 97. I remember being asked, uh, I was doing a movie, an indie film in Rome and their sort of version of premiere did an interview with us. And the woman asked me what I thought of the, the state of independent film. And this was 1995. So people were already questioning 
what was what was going to happen with it. And I just remember saying to her, and I still have this answer. I think, see, I don't know what an independent film is. You know, um, <laughs> I mean, the truly yeah. the, the most independent film made in the 1990s was uh, the Lucas's Star Wars movie in 1999. He paid for it. Yeah. He directed it. Financed it. He wrote it. You know, Good point. the deal he, the deal he had with 20th Century Fox was whatever he gave them, they had to put out. And there was no there <laughs> yeah. was there was no back and forth. It was like, could you cut it down an hour or whatever the fuck? Could you rewrite this? No. Here is Star Wars. You're gonna distribute it and you're gonna do due diligence and make sure you do it right. That's an independent film. You know. <laughs> you know, right. if you're making those like little indies in New York for half a million dollars and you're beholden to some dentist who did well in the stock market who's now living in Florida, that's not an independent uh, film, you know. <laughs> Great point. Great point. Do you like the fact that that so many so many sources since uh, Session Nine came out have used it as reference or have uh, referenced it in in the passing or your mention or just in you know things you notice? I, I haven't really know. What do you mean? I, I, well, maybe well, I'm Silent Hill Three, the video game, uh, very oh. vo- very vocally says that they used a lot of their internal imagery and a lot of their their set building for the game uh, of oh. Brook of Brookhaven Asylum are taken from stuff from the movie. I didn't know that. Oh, oh cool. okay. And then I and I, didn't I was know that I, at all. What else? What else <laughs> is going on? Yeah. <laughs> in, <laughs> in, in, in my, in. That's really cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, in my research, I discovered a few uh, novellas and short stories and things of that nature that actually refer to not only Danvers, but uh, will refer to Session Nine as you know, sort of a sort of a in-world reality. No kidding, that's yeah. really cool. No, I think yeah. that stuff is great. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of you know, I, I I honestly have never met anyone who's seen the film who didn't enjoy it. I mean, I'm a big horror guy, and my that's my mm-hmm. that's my core fan base. I mean, I'm a film guy, but I mean, horror films are my, my bread and butter. I watch good, bad. I don't care what they are. I'll watch them because I can, I figure I can always find something, something successful that they did. You know, mm-hmm. even if the movie is terrible, you know, one good shot for me is enough. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. I, I feel that kind of way about, uh, I guess I feel that way about science fiction movies. Right on. But then I love the genre so much that when they screw it up, I get really sad. Science fiction movies are, are a lot of fun from the standpoint that, especially ones from like the 70s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, because it's really fun to look in like the backgrounds of some of those low-budget sci-fi films and just see what they were able to kind of cobble together to make sets out of. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not only reusing sets from other films, but I mean, I just watched, uh, I saw a clip from Galaxy of Terror, which I haven't seen in a really long time. And the the sort of the the space crew, the crew of the spaceship, they're all wearing these these outfits, these sort of beige, you know, very futuristic looking outfits. And I'm like, fuck, those things look really familiar. And I couldn't put my finger on it. And I started looking into the background of the film a little bit. Turns out they went over and took all the old uniforms from Battlestar Galactica because that had just been oh, canceled. And they took all the emblems off <laughs> and like anything that would identify them from the show and just use the clothing. 
And I was like, that's, that's hilarious. That's hysterical. And like interiors of the spaceship were made out of like the old foam Big Mac containers, you know, and then just oh, put on the walls yeah. and then spray painted, you know, for texture. Just shit like right. that. I love. I love seeing stuff like that. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I, of course, I was a huge, still am, a uh, Star Trek fan. Right. Uh, and I mean, and, you know, actually speaking of guilty pleasures, it's it's painful for me to say, but man, some of those <laughs> movies did not, you know, I'm like, what are you, what are you guys doing? But anyway, um, <laughs> but I, I got to know uh, what the, the, one of the creators of, and I'm blanking on his name, of, of Deep Space Nine, it's a mutual friend or quaint, a colleague or something. And when I wrote really, there. No, the other guy, Berman, Richard Berman. Rick Berman. Richard Berman. Berman. Yeah. Berman. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What I really appreciated about them as an as an adult was how you know well they created the Borg, they 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 created all that really dark stuff, you know. But back to your point, Steve, you know when look I still love the original series with Kirk and Spock, and uh, recently it was airing here in New York uh, on something called Heroes and Icons. Did you get that up there in the Bronx? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I don't know if you got it out there. Yeah. And they had like a start every night, like at six, I think it started with every, you know, series they did for like four hours worth of Star Trek. Right, right. And, but, you know, you watch that old original show and then you know that like a lot of their little gadgets were salt shakers, you know, (laughs) and just, oh, look, I mean, and to like the balls, (laughs) you know, like, oh, let's use the salt shaker, you know, we'll sell it. We'll get away with it like and and they did you know i mean that's the great part is like when you get away with that sort of stuff and you buy into it um it's always nice to see you know it's kind of the essence of filmmaking isn't it right getting away that's with stuff. movie magic yeah yeah it's movie magic you shoot it and, and shoot it in the right light nobody will ever know <laughs> I, I am. all right well i mean uh that's awesome i i appreciate you uh uh, dipping into something outside of our, our two major two films sure. we're going to talk about here. So Steven's feature film pick the 400 blows. Je sais très bien qu'à l'école, on apprend des tas de choses inutiles. L'algèbre, la science, ça sert à peu de gens dans la vie. Mais le français, hein? le français, on a toujours des lettres à écrire. Tes parents disent que tu mens tout le temps. Non, je mens de temps en temps, quoi. Des fois, ils... je leur dirais des choses qui seraient la vérité, ils ne me croiraient pas, alors je préfère dire des mensonges. Et puis, je me suis aperçu que ma mère, elle m'aimait pas tellement, elle me disputait toujours, et puis pour rien, des petites affaires insignifiantes. Et puis, euh, avec ma grand-mère aussi, elle s'est disputée une fois. Et j'ai assez... là, j'ai su qu'elle avait voulu me faire avorter. Et puis, si je suis née, c'était grâce à ma grand-mère. from 1959, directed by Francois Truffaut with a running time of 99 minutes. A teen, tired of his humdrum life, decides to make moves to move on with his life, only his choices lead to even more problems and eventually imprisonment. What does a guy have to do just to get by in a normal life? Stephen, why did you pick the 400 blows? Oh, I just wanted to be artsy-fartsy. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no, I mean, Fair we enough. talked. 
I could have, I could have, you know, picking your favorite movie is, is a ridiculous proposition, you know. Yes. Especially if you like movies, you know. I mean, I could have picked easily. I could have picked Blade Runner or Jaws or Raging Bull. You know, I mean, the list just goes on. Or to stay with the artsy thing, uh, Tokyo Story or the Grand uh, Grand Illusion. You know, mm. um, Four Hundred Blows just popped into my mind. I don't know why I'd seen last time I saw it was about a year or two ago. It was, I think it was on Turner classic movies or something like that. And back to what we were talking about earlier with regard to ambiguity and, and art and miss because a lot of these guys who are making indie films, you know, they like the Hollywood movies, but then they looked to the European filmmakers like Truffaut specifically or foreign filmmakers, Akira Kurosawa, you know, pick somebody that just wasn't American, right? And, and completely misunderstood. <laughs> the, they misunderstood the fact that they didn't understand what was happening as ambiguity in their filmmaking. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like the Four Hundred Blows <laughs> yeah. isn't an ambiguous movie. It's a. Right, it no. makes a very very clear point. <laughs> it may not have a traditional sort of Hollywood beginning, middle, and end storytelling thing but that last shot of that movie if you're not devastated by that i mean it, i don't know what it is well, i know what it is for me it's a story about a kid you know trying to figure out life i'm right. currently reading a bunch of essays about the peanuts co comic um somebody put collected in, back in 2019 <clears throat> collected a bunch of um essays about peanuts uh written by you know writers other writers some comic book right rick ware doesn't does an essay uh oh gerald but it, why is peanuts so popular it's the same thing it's it's you know adults but kids as adults trying to figure out life and that for me was a profound thing about the 400 blows because you don't have to be a kid to not get what that kid is going through do you know what I mean? Or to yeah. get what it's going through. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and then I just, uh, I just think I've gotten uh, in the last few years, like the last 10 years, I've really gotten into black and white movies. So, you know, I watched a lot of, like I watched a lot of the Preston Sturgis movies and just Hollywood movies of the 1930s, the pre-code movies partly because they're interesting, but also because of just the beautiful black and white stuff. I just, right. I've really gotten into that. And then, you know, it was made in 59. I was born in 66. So a lot, and I was, you know, and grew up, you know, well, the next 10 years into 76, a lot of the cars and, and the look of Paris at that time, I would go back to Germany. I was born there and, the look of Europe is, is, is that look, you know, yeah. more so than, you know, you know what I'm saying? So it, is, it has a nostalgic quality for me as well. Yeah. That's uh, I, I had not seen this uh, in all my, in all my, in all my movie viewing. Uh, I have, I have tremendous holes in my back catalog of film viewing as, as most people do, I think. Um, sure. But there are a lot of what are considered to be the great classics of film, uh, that I haven't seen. So that's one of the nice things about doing this show is because uh, we get on guests who who pick great classic films and uh, I have a, a really good reason to sit and watch them for the first time.
I often yeah. do. I often do wonder. I feel like that with a lot of these films, if I don't get what the film is trying to tell me, that I'm missing something. Uh, I, you know, I think that if there's there's a reason why certain films are considered or held to a certain level, and I feel like when I watch them and I don't and I don't feel that way, that I've somehow missed something in the, in the story, either in the story or how that was told or visually or I'm missing I'm missing the theme or the cues or whatever, whatever it might be. And this I mean, this this does not fall into that category, but I'm just in general, these kind of films sometimes will do that with me. Uh I, I enjoyed this a lot. I thought I, that 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 kid is amazing uh, for for twelve or thirteen years old, whatever he was when he made this. Um, first of all, he act he comes across like he's thirty years old. The way he walks around, the way he kind of carries himself in the movie, he is he's acting well above his age. So it's kind of funny to see him, even amongst some of the other children. Uh, how much more adult and more advanced mature he comes across as opposed to, and I think that's because of obviously kind of what's going on in his life and, and what he's had to deal with. But um, that and the fact that he looked vaguely like David Duchovny and at times, and it kind of kept throwing me off. <laughs> I love the, uh, the, the parts of the film where like the kids would say goodnight to each other and they would shake hands like like little businessmen and be like, all right, good to see you, see you tomorrow, you know, and, and you know, all yeah. the little briefcases and everything. I really enjoyed it. Actually, Lay, this is a good spot. Why don't you go ahead and uh, and give us, I, I assume you had seen this before. No, I had not. Oh, uh, it, okay. It was on my, like you just said, uh, we see as many movies as we can. And uh, there are classics that we just... You know, we can't see everything. And that this, this is one that's been on that list for a while. All my film books I have, you know, list it really high. as one of the greatest films of all time. Uh, it's influenced French New Wave. Uh, we studied the French New Wave in school, uh, but this is not the film that we were shown. Uh, uh, Which one were you shown? Eight, eight and a half. Is that considered French New Wave? That's more, it, that's, a, that's, that, no, that's, that's Italian. A, that's Fellini. Never yeah. mind. Italian New Wave. No, there's, <laughs> I just, I can't think of what it was, but it wasn't this. I, I just always remembered the title. Uh, the title always interested me more than the actual like film because I was like, what, what does that refer to? And, you know, I watched it the other day and I still didn't know what the title meant by the end of the movie. I had to look it up. Now, now I understand it completely. So, <laughs> Yes, a mistake in a mistake in uh, in translation is what it comes down to. <laughs> well, it's inter, inter, you know it's interesting, and um, yeah. they almost I think they even almost tell you in the credits at the beginning what it's referring to itself because it's a French idiom. But um, it's uh, you know it's it's one of those films where you got to go in with you know as we always talk about on the show. Uh, you have to put yourself in the mold, in the mold of when was this made? Uh, and not only that, but since it's a foreign film, what country it was made in. And I don't know, you, I think you go in, at least I did with a little bit of bias being someone who's seen so many films and, and knowing that this is a classic and maybe one of the best films ever made. So I, I tried to, I tried to watch it just, you know, giving it its time period, but also being, you know, trying to trying to be, a, you know, objective about what I was watching. And I, I didn't want to love it right away. 
uh, when it started. I wanted to like review it fairly. And I don't know. I, I there's there's parts of it I really like. Uh, I, I love the kid's performance. I love what they're trying to say. I love how he directs. You know, he's he's in my favorite Spielberg film of all time as an actor. So mm-hmm. Truffaut's got a a different. Uh, a liking to me in that respect too but did, did you did you catch his cameo uh, i just looked i just looked it up okay. actually i i did not <laughs> catch it when it was in it i kept thinking the kid you know this kid they got because it's semi-autobiographical he you know i kept thinking wow this is actually just archival footage of francois Truffaut, you know <laughs> and that's um you know that they did a good job with the casting of, of the kid and he's a you know he's a great actor um I don't know. It's it's kind of like a slice of life movie. Uh, well, yeah. before they even existed, and you know, a character study, and and just I I I enjoy the movie. I enjoy some of the stuff. Uh, you know, the the shots when they're in the carnival ride is really cool. The last sequence where he's just running and running and running and running, <laughs> and then it just. And then it stops and freeze frame. That's that's really smart. I, I actually like I like that ending. I like how it's like that's all you're getting. This is where it ends. The rest of the film I think is decent. I, I don't I, I guess I see where it's a considered a classic based on how it's told and and how fluid and smooth it is. I, I myself I don't think I'd put it as high as other things I've seen, but I do recognize why it stands uh, in its place in the, in cinema history and why it's considered such an important movie. And I, I would like to watch the other films related to this, the other four that follow this kid's story. And I, I guess he, he plays them in each of these successive movies. Correct. Have, have you seen them all Steven? No, I've seen, uh, no, uh, I don't know. You remember? Um, yeah, I have it right here. By the way, that that kid is still acting today. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I saw that actor. too. <laughs> so the other movies are there are four of them, and they all star him, and they are called Antoine and Colette, which is okay. part of an anthology. Then Stolen Kisses, Bed and Board. And love on the run, and the last one, love is, on the run, is from 1979. Wow! I definitely haven't seen love on the run, but yeah. I think I've seen Antoine and Colette. I think that's is that called masculine feminine in in French? Is that the title? It says it's a segment inside of Love at Twenty. Um, is that then called masculine and feminine? No, it just says love at twenty. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm pretty sure I've seen Antoine uh, or, uh, yeah, Love at 20. But no, I'm, I mean, you know, actually the truth, I think I've said this to Steve, is I, I, I'm surprised at how many movies I've seen, but I haven't gone to see movies. Uh, you know, I've watched, like, I, <laughs> like, I don't know, uh, again, Hassan, I'm, I'm, I, I, did you grow up here in the city? Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, at least when I was a kid, and I'm not—I'm sh- pretty sure I'm considerably older than you. But um, in the '70s, only two years uh, older than me. So, <laughs> uh, okay. 
So the 70s on, in New York, you had Channel 9 and Channel 5 and Channel 11. And on the weekends, right. from starting at like 9 in the morning to about 6, they all played like B-horror movies, science fiction movies from the 50s, right? Because they could get them basically yes. for free. And <laughs> if not, if not that, then uh, then Kung Fu cinema. Yeah, yeah. It would it would trade off. Exactly. Trade off. Right. Yeah. So I saw like all of these movies. I don't know what they're called because they. I didn't bother <laughs> to write down the title, you know. Yeah. But then, uh, like, there'll be a movie that gets referenced, and then it'll be explained to me. It's like, oh yeah, I saw it. You know, I mean. Um, <laughs> consequently, yeah. uh, I so a lot of the movies I've seen, I've seen on TV. But I haven't been to the movie theaters, you know, not with COVID notwithstanding. I, in the last five years, other than a couple of movies I went to go see with my kid, uh, like Monsters, Inc. or something like that, uh, which I, by the way, all those kid movies I really enjoyed. But um, uh, <laughs> I, the only movies, like the adult movies I've seen, it's like Blade Runner 2048 and the uh the paul thomas anderson movie uh that name escaped the threading needle or something like that phantom thread phantom thread yeah not to be confused with phantom menace um Uh, or or phantom tollbooth exactly but so no i i don't think i've seen them but i might have and i just don't know their titles you know but at any rate uh so it's interesting that your your take on that picture anyway do, do we do we go to a song now are you gonna chime in uh, you know, Hassan is going to uh, take his turn uh, if, if if Latham's done. Yeah, no, I'm 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 pretty much done. I I just um, I'm trying to think of any other way to convey. I, I'm not saying I'm disappointed in it. Uh, I just you know there there are some film old there are some older films that you know I hear about and I really look forward to. One of them being the other one we're going to talk about. Where when it's over, I'm just like, oh yeah, that's why. That's why I love international cinema and all all films and all independent films and unique ideas and whatever. And this one, I just I, it just underwhelmed me a bit, but not. I, I think there's just a lot of loose ends in it that that bother me, and I understand that's part of the point. But it didn't. It just didn't ring as true with me as it did with other people. But obviously, the consensus is is it's a masterpiece. So. And, and certainly I, I have a, a certainly a strong sense of that with my dislike of The Graduate, which a film was, is generally considered by most other people to be magnificent. So I, 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 I get it. And I and I, you know, I, I'm the same way. And I think that partially that falls into the category of us, where we are, what we've already experienced in film versus what people were, you know, knew about film in 1966 and sitting down and getting to see this first time you know, without the baggage that we have already in hand. Yeah. You know, no, so it's, 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 it's difficult. And I, and I, I'm, you know, me, I'm always the first one to make a point that a great movie is a great movie. It doesn't matter where or when you see it, it's always going to be great. And I think that, you know, you can see in this movie the how that coming out at that time certainly would have that effect on people. Right. I don't think that movies in the, in the mid sixties, uh, especially American films were doing anything along these lines. And like you said, it was, you know, one of the earlier kind of just slice of life films that just showed you, you know, this kid and, you know, what was happening in his life. And, and then all of a sudden he ends up where he does. Uh, Hassan. I get really mad when I started watching this because I didn't realize that I was going to have to read the whole thing. Uh. <laughs> that always, that always upsets me. 
You didn't know it was a French film? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, you know, you just because of, because of the way uh, we had to do things this week, which is kind of a run and gun uh, right. kind of sit up situation. I didn't have time to prepare and like actually understand, you know, what I was about to walk into. So I, <laughs> I, I put the movie on and it was like, you know, and I, I could realize from the, the credit to like, uh, this is decidedly French. And I'm like, <laughs> like, don't tell me. And then, so, yeah, so. But um, it's which what uh, kind of amazed me is like how quickly like I forgot that it was a for you know like uh, that was in French, um, just because of the circumstances like things things just start rolling like right away, you know he gets in trouble with the teacher he starts writing on the walls, um, <laughs> you know like you know you just kind of get right into yeah, the circumstance the situation yeah, so so there was I was actually mostly being funny but um. Well, no, you know, you make a great point, though. You mean, I mean, that's something that stands out to you, and and in a in a film that you you know you're going to have to read, um, to have it not be an issue quickly, is a credit to the film in, in and of itself. That being that the fact, yeah, that because it's, it's already bringing you into the story, and you're not you're not even registering that you're not just you know failing behind or missing things. Right. Um, also, like because when you when you start out. You don't know exactly which film you're gonna you're gonna watch, and for me, like watching new films is uh, um, uh, I wouldn't I don't know I don't have the right vocabulary for it, but it was uh, it's it's just kind of it's a little perilous because you know I kind of get into the films I watch, so like if I if I'm watching something that I wouldn't normally watch, like that wouldn't just come up and I would normally be interested in, you know, like it it just becomes like a chore. I don't know how to describe it. It's like, oh man, I gotta watch this movie, and oh man, it's it's an hour and forty minutes. It's an hour and forty minutes of reading a movie. Like, give me a break. And then you know, when you when you put all that bullshit aside, and you actually start watching the film, and the film just kind of takes up takes control, which is where you want to be when you, whenever you watch any any kind of entertainment in the first place. Yeah. You just forget. And the only reason I'm mentioning it is because I'm just talking about how like you know my level of. Uh, my level of willful ignorance in going into the film just just before you know as it started, it is really it, it is really a beautiful film. For the only thing that really bothered me about this film, and that's just that's just the nature of a lot of things, nature of aspect ratio from from personally from myself and um, and just the nature of the way films are done in the first place. Everybody in France seems to just run out into the street, and that that got on my nerves. <laughs> that kind of that kind of freaked me out a lot. I was, I was <laughs> a lot of anxiety about that. Like, don't you see these cars coming? What the, you know, what the hell's wrong with it? They don't care. Yeah. yeah. No. Just they put is. the hand up and then somebody stops. What is that? Is I mean, it, yeah, there's a couple. Yeah, that that too. I'm like, come on, I'm from New York. That just doesn't work. You know? <laughs> like, I don't know, officer. He had his hand out for something. So I just, you know, I waved I, at him before I, was, I hit him. But yeah, I was, I was late for work. So, you know, how, you know how it is, right? And there's a, there's a couple of times where the kid just comes running out of his he fires out of his building and just runs right into the street. So, you know, this little it's it's weird the quirky things that just kind of you know that 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 short circuit you. There's so many things in this film that you think are going to be a big deal and that just aren't, you know? Yeah. Like him catching his his mother like cheating on on his stepfather <laughs> and you and you know it and you, like all right, that's gonna, nah, not really, yeah. you know. 
you know, the, the him sleeping, uh, spending a night at his, uh, his friend's uncle's uh, printing press, and you figure, okay, that's going to be like a, you know, ex- you know, a, a moment where the kid just explores, you know, the, the world and is on his own adventure. Now nah, he wakes up, this this guy's talking, so he runs out of there. You know, mm-hmm. it's there. It it really is just a slice of life, like like as you said, like it's just it's just a bunch of events that just happened to this kid, and then circumstances cause him to make decisions. Decisions come back to haunt him. You know, he's got, he's, he's being raised by these, these, these two very inept parents <laughs> who are, you know, uh, you know, very self-absorbed. And, and one of them is uh, the, 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 the stepfather is uh, self-delusional to, to, to whatever extent um, he's living in seeming with, what seems like abject poverty. Well, you know, the show, the movie doesn't really make a big deal out of that either. Like the kid's not—he doesn't even have a room. He's—he's he's sleeping in the in the walkway from the from the door to the to the master bedroom. You know, they have this uh, they have this dinner, and it's all—it's like ninety percent of what he was eating was like broth. It was there was no there was nothing in the soup. You know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of like hints and clues, but they never really dwell on it. The kid never really complains about it. He's just kind of wide-eyed and wanted. Like when I was a kid, I didn't know how whether we were rich or poor. You know, I I kind of relate to that. Like I just I just knew about my you know my the the circumstances of my young life. You know, my friends and enemies, and you know my my rivalries with my teachers and and that kind of stuff. So like the he, like he sees his mom cheating on his his stepdad. And he doesn't really he doesn't really know he doesn't really process it because it's out of his, you know, it's kind of above his pay grade. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't really fit in with Like You figure maybe he's going to use that to blackmail his mother, you know, because he's, he's obviously got issues with his mother in the beginning of the film. And I'm pretty sure that hit that, that the fact that she knows that he knows was a was a was a big component in her kind of sea change from the middle of the film all oh, the yeah. way to the end of the film, you know. Although that's not, they never make a big deal out of that either. Yeah. Like it's never, you never see her make a decision. Well, I'm going to be nice to him now because he knows shit about me, and I don't want anybody else to know. No. Um, it's it's a sad film. That that ending is really sad. That circumstance is really sad. I think it's a it's a it to me it becomes. Um, uh, really sad because the kid never complains. He never really has a cathartic moment about how why why this you know why life is so hard for me. Even when he's explaining it to the analysis, the 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 the, the woman at the the truant uh, whatever that place is the uh, the reform school. I don't know what it what they call it in France. And she's and she, he's revealing, you know, he's going through the circumstances that led him to this sequentially and it's it's kind of a revelation to him why i did this because i did this i did this because that happened this happened that happened um because this person said this and whatever but he's never like not until the very end does he kind of reflect on how kind of messed up all these you know the the, his circumstances well plus i mean so that plus i mean he's a kid i mean how much reflection most 12 year olds do i mean well yeah but i'm just well yeah Absolutely. 
but no 12 year olds ever made a movie so well. usually <laughs> you get a lot of movies from adults who are making movies supposedly from the point of view of a child but they're usually adult movies right you know and they're they're they have adult rationalizations for for the for the decisions that the kids are making a lot of kids just think moment to moment they don't really they're not really reflective of why they made certain decisions they just kind of they kind of go from instinct to instinct and that's that's definitely how this this story is is portrayed it's just one they're not even they're not even to me they're not even portrayed as mistakes there's just a well you know don't go to school today go you know let's just hang out with me we'll go we'll go (laughs) you know and in the process of him not going to school he runs it to his mother you know, he sees that and then the, the ball starts rolling. 90% of his circumstances are things that are completely out of his ability to understand. They're not even out of his, they're out of his control. They're just a bunch of these really ter- terrible adults reacting and he doesn't even have any control over it. So that that kind of that, that really pissed me off and that <laughs> made me sad, you know. And, that, and then when he finally does make a decision for himself, it does it turns out just as poorly, even when he's trying yeah. to actually make it right, you know, in a, right. In, a, in a fashion. Yeah, well, this is not working. That no one's no one's interested in this typewriter. I got to take this typewriter <laughs> and put it back, and that's where he gets go. But you know what? The, the, that's the only kind of uh, that's the only kind of genuine storytelling moment in it, like a, a tropey moment in it where, you yeah. know, okay, it's the minute you decide to go do the right thing after all this, this, this series of bad mistakes that you've made, the minute you try to make it right, that's when you're going to get caught, you know, <laughs> you know, like they say, you don't, you don't, it, the, it's not the crime that gets you. It's, it's the running, you know, it's, 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 it's the attempt to escape from the crime that, that, that gets you caught. I, yeah, I think the uh, film is really beautiful. I was with him all the way at the end when he when he got out of that place and he just ran and he was running for the hills, you know, you know, I, I I'm interested to see the the other the sequels to this just to see if they're if they're if they're coherent sequels like they're direct sequels or if they just they're just the same character played by the same actor, but in, in various you know circumstances. But I I've never heard of the movie before, but I really oh. loved it in spite of the fact that it wasn't in English and I had to read the whole thing, <laughs> which, you know, and I got, I, I think I fell in love with the film right at the beginning, right in the, uh, in the, in the classroom because uh, it just sucked me right into it, you know? Um, so I'm happy I saw it and that's not a euphemism for, for anything. That's <laughs> right. just genuinely, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, this, this is, uh... I can see why it's a classic. I, I can, I can see the, uh, I can't see the, the 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 DNA of a lot of other movies that it, you know, that it spawned. Yeah, I was I was looking up connect or uh, connections and other things that have referenced stuff in this movie. And it was pretty impressive the number of uh, other filmmakers who have, you know, homaged it in certain things and even connections I wouldn't have made. Like you know, they made a connection to like Run Lola Run, and it was just like scenes of people running, and it's like all right, but I mean. You can't call every scene of someone running a, a reference to this simply because there's a scene of him running. It just doesn't make sense. But, you know, yeah. people can connect things and see things wherever they want to. Uh, this was Truffaut's first movie. So, it's I mean, it's pretty impressive uh, directorial debut. 
And then uh, the one thing, the other thing that just really stuck out to me as I was watching the film was those cars. Like, like you'd see these cars in the background and there was that one that looked vaguely like an egg. That was just sort of like, it, it couldn't have been more than like, seriously, like five feet long. And it was like parked next to like two normal full-size cars. And I was like, what the hell is that? I'm like, I, I have no idea what these cars are. I mean, I'm going to, fairly knowledgeable car guy but there are just some of those that i was completely blown away by and i like the idea that i in, in my in my reading about this the background and stuff that all the young actors who were who filled out his classroom were the actors who didn't get the lead role oh of the in the film they were a lot of the guy the kids who had oh, auditioned cool. they had auditioned them for the lead and they didn't get it but they're like nah you're still in the class with them so there's a lot of like candid moments that kind of seem like to to a person who's trying to analyze a story um, more so than they're they're watching, which is a, a a trap that I fall into a lot where I just try to get analytical with some things like why am I being shown this? It's got to lead to something. There's a lot of stuff that just there's just there that doesn't really yeah. lead to anything, you know. Like the kid that seems to follow them through most of their exploits. There's a there's another there's always like a pan over. And there's another kid who is just just kind of off to the side um, or hiding behind a tree or something. And it never really it never really it never leads to anything. The one who comes to the house and busts him by telling his mom he wasn't in school. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, it's I don't even know if that's the same kid. There's like there are a couple of scenes where there are other kids that just kind of. You know, it's like kind of almost invasion of the body snatchers kind of circumstance where they, they you know, they, the kids walk off and they're they're laughing and joking around and the camera just slightly pans over and there's another kid just yeah. kind of there and observing, but nothing, it just, it's, it, it doesn't really go anywhere. It doesn't lead to anything. Yeah. That great um, and then there's that weird scene with a kid with the, with the ink in the beginning, who I felt so bad for. He was trying to do his, uh, oh, <laughs> He's trying to he's trying to keep notes or write notes from the thing and he yeah and he just up kept blotting it you know and I was like oh come on dude you know I just felt so bad for that kid. <laughs> and I love that that long overhead take where uh, they're out the the teacher is taking them out of the school into the wherever they were going and every time they either passed yeah. a block or a doorway two more kids would peel off and run in another direction. Yeah. So at the end, yeah. it's literally the teacher and two kids walking down the street. And I was like, when's he going to turn around and realize that everyone is gone? So like, yeah. I didn't want to be that last, the last two kids. But, uh, but yeah, this was a, this was a fun film. I really enjoyed it. It's a, a good pick. Uh, I'm glad I can knock this one off the list. Uh, it's uh, it was cool, and it, it definitely makes me, especially now knowing that there's uh, more stories involving the same character, it's going to make me want to hunt those down and, and and check those out. So that is the 400 blows. So we're going to blow up the tubes today. <laughs> normally we no, normally we would get the name of the segment is down the tubes, and we normally do like a little shtick back and forth about you know having to go somewhere or do something and end up going down the tubes. And again, the internet is not something that you just dump something on. It's not a big truck. It's, it's a series of tubes. But, oh, okay. but I think with our all of our blowing up today, I think we'll blow up the tubes today. Huh. But uh, we'll start yeah. if, uh, with the 400 blows images. Navigating it. But you, oh, you well. go ahead and start. And, you know, I will, I will chime in later. How's that? How's okay. that Friday? Yeah. That's fair enough. Go ahead. Yeah. 
so starting off with the uh, the initial French poster, uh, and tell me this kid doesn't look like David Duchovny. I mean, come on, look at it. I don't actually see it too much. You don't see it? No. All right, all right. I'm, I guess I guess it's just me. Um, I like this. this. It's got this. What's that like? This poster's indistinct. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's fine, but it's indistinct. Uh, I like the rogues gallery of filmmakers with the quotes at the bottom, though. Well, yeah, I mean that's you know that's all in French. That on your film, you're doing well. No, no, no. I mean, well, normally, normally you would get. It's funny because you normally on a movie poster you'll see quotes from movie reviewers saying about how good a movie is, and instead this is actually just filmmakers. It's just it's an interesting choice. It's also it also suggests that this guy had a real in into the industry. If all these famous directors are seeing his first film, oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. Wasn't he? Uh, I thought Truffaut was a critic, along with Godard. No, I well, that he, would that would make sense then. I I, I, I was pretty sure he was in, heavily involved in in yeah. the film business prior to making this movie. Yeah, if, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, go on. Uh, so the second French poster is a uh, painted and reversed version of the, the main poster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a book cover. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a painted, a painted image of that. Uh, so the third French oh, yeah. poster is a little more. Oh yeah. You, you, you with us? Yes. I'm watching. I am mean, okay. looking at them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, moving to France. Oh, three. Uh, it's a black and white painted, another painted, uh, version. Mm-hmm. Angel faces, hell bell, I mean, hell bent for violence. Yeah, so they, they apparently yeah, they got I mean, Roger. That's a little, mu- that's a little much. Yeah, they apparently they got Roger Corman's PR people. To break that <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, this, this is just yeah. Yeah, this seems more like a, a poster for Rebel Without a Cause or something. You know, it does not know. apply there yeah. very well. Um, so next is the uh, Italian uh, repaint. Which I mean, I, and I understand the iconic, the sort of iconic image of of the of the kid alone, but uh, it's funny how, like Latham said, it's so nondescript of what we're getting uh, in the film. Although, although really, I guess you could argue that it is, and it's just a you know, it's just uh, a piece of this kid's life for how what is it like three or four days? I guess it spans across. It's not very long. No. Well, a little bit longer once he goes. Once he gets, yeah. Once I guess, once he gets to the to the home or the delinquent uh, center or whatever it's called. Uh, so next is the Spanish film poster, Spanish release, another repaint. Yeah, but uh, Fine. Uh, slightly more interesting is the Czech poster. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> okay. Going in a bit different direction. Uh, next, the Danish. And again, and, and at least it gives you a little bit more in the in the in the background images. Oh, they added a tear to his eye in this last in this uh, in the Denmark poster. Well, he's probably pretty sad by the end of the movie. You know, had it. Uh, next is the Hungarian. It looks like which is it. <laughs> like Anne Frank poster. Yeah, 
<laughs> it was like, yeah. looks like way more drastic than uh, than the movie is actually. Yeah, the, the four hundred Frankenstein. <laughs> Frankenstein, why? Well, because he's green. Uh, so yeah. next is an actually fairly coherent French uh, Polish poster. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which yeah. Usually, usually we don't get the 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 Polish movie film posters are usually the uh, the more David Lynchian approach. Being kind. Uh, and next is next is actually my favorite of the bunch is uh the Japanese. I actually like this this painted image the best out of all of the yeah, it's better yeah. the original release posters. Uh simply from a stylistic standpoint over the the shot of him just sort of standing by the beach or whatever. It's like the him with the with the right, of, him with the turtleneck over his face. That's yeah. that's more that's a lot better choice to convey. Yeah you wondering what the movie is about right and then we have uh they have one artist poster one uh, fan poster by mike o'brien and it's fine yeah it's you know I, it's no better no worse than most of the the other general release posters. oh but the turquoise color choice but uh you know whatever yeah, i didn't yeah. paint i'm fine with that huh. so that's the 400 blows posters and huh. uh um all right man so, so normally we would wrap things up with a very quick and this will be a very quick discussion because i've never seen any other Truffaut films except for the the 400 blows so i have no i have no other reference uh to usually we do we do a quick thing where we ask uh the guest on what his favorite film by that particular director would be uh and having only seen this one i i i, I unfortunately would have to stick with 400 blows <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, I that's a good question because, like I said, or I'm looking it up right now because uh, oh, here we go. All right, oh yes, uh, I liked this the shoot the piano player. Okay, yeah. not my favorite of his, but but certainly uh, Fahrenheit 451 was. Uh, oh wow! I forgot he did that. Yeah, that's it's a very good movie. Jules and Jim. Uh, was also, I mean, they're all, you know, he's, I, I would say the 400 blows is my favorite. Oh yeah. My favorite of his, but he, yeah. Back to uh, what uh, Latham's point. I mean, he started cashier du cinema, which is, was the premier, you know, uh, French film philosophical magazine uh, up until into the seventies, I think. Um, okay. So he was he was a very influential, along with Godard, uh, in the in the film world, and then decided to, again. Godard, I think, started as as a what you call it as well, uh, a critic. He said, "I can do this better." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, I think that's exactly probably what went through his mind. But yeah, no, all of his movies are pretty. I think, if nothing else, interesting. Um, Certainly worth watching for sure. Uh, I would say so. Yeah, I mean. It, I don't think you're going to, it's not, you're not going to feel like you got gypped as it, as it were. Right. Right. I just, you know, it's funny. And he's one of those filmmakers who you always hear about. Uh, and yet when you look over his the kind of the breadth of his filmmaking career, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem like that much, you know? No. I mean, there's only, if you take, if you take the short films out, you're talking about, you know, 23 films Yeah. or 20 films. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it reminds me of, uh, and I'm going to have to jet, but yeah. uh, after 
but uh, reminds me of an interview I saw with Jack Lemon from like the 80s, I think. And uh, he was talking about, you know, how, you know, he basically pointed out that being, being an actor, you don't work a lot. Uh, and he's like, look at me. I mean, I've been an actor for 40 years. Uh, I've made about 40 movies. <laughs> and that's about three months out of a year. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, most of the last 40 years, I, I, I've been looking to make a movie or, or, or waiting to make a movie. You know, and um, it's kind of true, especially I know if you like me and Brad, you know, write a movie and then you put it together and you shoot it. And then that's a, you know, that's a year and a half, two years of your life. Yeah. Going off. You know, so th these things do take time. I'm always surprised at like Woody Allen, you know, churns a picture out every year. Now, not that they're necessarily all, you know, great, but. I'm always surprised at that, that the ability to, you know, think, do it as quickly as you can. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things that people that people who don't or have any connection to the movie industry under don't understand is the amount of time it takes to get a project, not yeah. only not only created, but then to get it, you know, the, then to actually get it moving and get it made, and then once you actually get someone to say yes. Now you're talking from that point, you're talking a year or years. Now, not even counting the amount of time just in developing the story and the, and, and the whole thing to get it sold. It's amazing. Yeah. It's really kind of amazing that, you know, I've heard this said before. I mean, it's, you know, I've heard guys say, I mean, it's amazing. Any movies get made. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, you know, hundred people, you know, uh, on a average movie set and, you know, getting them all organized and pointing in the right direction. And then, yeah, it's amazing. Any movie gets made. It's amazing. Any movie gets made and it's any good, really. You know? <laughs> I mean, the fact that there are in fact good movies is, is, uh, is, 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 a, is a pretty big deal. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Which, which is also why I don't particularly like, uh, like, like trashing movies because at least publicly anyway, because I try to find like the, like even with blow up, I mean, there's a lot of that movie sure. that I really like, you know, it, it's hard enough, you know, to make the thing, when, you know, and then, you know what I'm saying? Why, you know, yeah. why not focus on the nice things in life? Let's, let's say, let's yeah. When the, the guys who live in their parents' basement have nothing better to do, but sit online and, and bitch about things, get a hold of your movie and tell you why, how you could have made it better and why it isn't as good as this other guy's movie. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that can, yeah, that can be tires. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Well, listen, Steven, thank you so much for hanging around with us. And, thank you. Uh, you this with has all been great. Us. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah it's been is... a lot of fun. Yeah, if you're you're absolutely welcome to come back, we can we can talk more about that later and and yeah. you know down the road if you want if you want to pick two more movies and and wow us or pick two just for fun or whatever you want to do. Well, we'll forget. Yeah, let's 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 talk about that definitely. But, uh, but Dustin, thank thanks again. I appreciate you uh, giving us three hours out of your Saturday afternoon. Thank you. Nice meeting you all. All right, take, take care, Stephen. Thank you. Take care. Yep. Bye. Bye. Thanks to Fesley and Music. Please check out our website at cinementalpod.com for all the poster images we discuss in our Down the Tube segments. And don't forget to download and subscribe to Cinemental wherever you enjoy your podcasts, or you can always listen to new episodes at cinementalpod.com. Also, you can follow us on all major social media accounts at Cinemental Pod. For Asan Godwin, Latham Conger III, 
Stephen Javidan and myself, we say thank you so much for listening. And as always, in the words of our friend and French auteur, Truman Burbank. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night.